the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, Carol Zerniel on special assignment today, going to a pretty important national meeting in Washington, D.C., and we have a great pinch hitter. Tina Smith, who has been on the show before, serves as manager of caregiving programs for the WellMed Charitable Foundation. She's got an MS in social gerontology from Central Missouri State University. I guess I should say Missouri. Yes, well, no, no, you say Missouri. Missouri. <laughs> Missouri, yes. State University. Hey, Tina, it's good to see you again, and, and we really appreciate when you come in for Carol. Oh, I love coming. I always enjoy doing the show with you. Now, we're going to welcome Barry Jacobs on in just a moment, but to give a preview for those who may have seen him at the Caregiver Summit, uh, I guess, two years ago. Yes. Two yeah, years ago. Yeah, well, actually, we worked very closely with Barry on a number of, of different things. He was on. He came to our Caregiver Summit, and he actually has done a number of teleconnection sessions for us on, on a pretty regular basis. And we're excited that we're bringing him to San Antonio on September 5th uh, here in town. If you're in town, we encourage you to come out. He's going to be talking to family caregivers about the positive aspects of, of caregiving, which can sometimes get lost. And it's a free program. It's a free event, and you can call our number at 866. 866- Three nine zero six four nine one, and we can get you registered and give you some more information. And we'll give that number again in just a little while. So why don't we welcome Barry Jacobs to our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline. Barry has a doctorate degree in psychology. He is a clinical psychologist, healthcare consultant, and a monthly columnist on family caregiving for AARP.org, author of The Emotional Survival Guide for Caregivers, Looking After Yourself and Your Family, and he's written a whole lot more as well. Always a delight, Barry Jacobs. Thanks for joining us. Uh, really my pleasure, Ron and Tina. I always enjoy working with WellMed and working with you guys in particular. Now, you literally travel the country uh, talking about caregiving. What got you into the caregiving topic? Uh, I, I uh, got into the caregiving topic, as many of us have, because of personal uh, family history, uh, my dad had brain cancer while I was a teenager, and I saw my family go through an extremely tough time, uh, so much so that uh, uh, it, it made an enormous impression on me, and I uh, grew up to become first a journalist, but eventually became a psychologist, focusing on family members caring for their loved ones. And really what I wanted to do was help family members do a better job of it than my own family did. My, my family kind of made a mess of it. Uh, and then in the more recent years, I've had the chance to care for my mom with dementia, my stepdad with dementia, uh, both of whom have uh, since passed. Uh, but I, I had about seven years of dementia caregiving, and uh, wow. that, that certainly changed my personal outlook and professional outlook as well. Now, you're the psychologist, and I'm not. Watching your father die as a teenager had to be really tough. 
uh, it was extremely hard. I was uh, I was 14 when he was first diagnosed, and then he died when I was 15. Um, one of the first symptoms my dad had, unfortunately, was he lost the power of, of intelligible speech. And so it really uh, curtailed his ability to communicate with me and the rest of the family. And uh, it was it was extremely frightening. Uh, it really kind of gave me a sense at, at an early age of just how um, medical illness could, could really devastate families. But it also gave me a, a sense of mission that uh, we, we need to help families in, in such situations uh, to, to, to do as well as they can with this kind of adversity. Now, one of the things I know you wanted to talk about today, and it's such an important topic, when neighbors and friends take on many of the caregiving tasks, in theory, making life easier for the caregiver, but not always. Well, I, I, I think, generally speaking, uh, all of us you know, live in neighborhoods. We have friends and, and social groups, like, like church groups or other community organizations that we belong to. And sometimes we uh, underestimate uh, how important those organizations are, are to us in, in just keeping us going. And, and where this comes up especially is with uh, uh, long-distance caregivers who uh, you know, they maybe have an aging parent, uh, another part of the country, and the long-distance caregivers are worried that their parent is beginning to decline. And uh, consequently, they, they want the parent to move or they want the parent to, to sell the family home. And uh, that parent has been living a certain way for a long time and, and has no intention of changing the way they live. And that could cause the long-distance caregiver to have a lot of uh, queasiness about how this is going to turn out. Uh, so one, one story that uh, I always think about it, a, a family that I worked with years ago uh, was exactly what I just described. It was a gentleman whose mom lived about two states away, and, and his mom had lived in the same house in, in the same block in, in, a, in a small town for about 50 years and knew everybody, and everybody knew her. And uh, the son wanted mom to move close to him, and mom literally refused to, saying that she was getting tremendous help from her next-door neighbor who was uh, helping with groceries, from her across-the-street neighbor who would mow the lawn and shovel snow, from the firehouse uh, down the street that would uh, uh, help do home repairs for her. And so, uh, really, she had a whole network of, of neighbors and friends that were, were performing a lot of the tasks that a family member might. And the son, unfortunately, at least initially, just didn't appreciate uh, the, the matrix of support that the, the mom had. Uh, and, it, I, you know, one of my recommendations to him was that he really needed to, to, to get to know these folks that were helping his mom and, and ally with them rather than try to pull his mom away from them. Why was he not embracing their help to begin with? I, I think... Uh, for a lot of reasons. One is, um, I think he felt it was his responsibility and other, other people's responsibility to care for his mom as she was getting older. Uh, I also think that he didn't know them very well, and therefore he didn't entirely trust them, especially if, if something serious happened to, to his mother, like, you know, for instance, if she had to go to the emergency room after a fall. Um, and then I think thirdly, he had a little bit of uh, a sense of envy that, uh, that somehow mom depended on them and felt comfortable depending on them. But whenever he offered her help, she almost always rejected it. As if she didn't, she didn't want to depend on him at all because that would, would make her feel like she was losing her independence. But but accepting help from the people around her, people people whom she had helped for many many years you know, that she lived in that home, she didn't have very many qualms about that, and, and it didn't uh, make her lose face so much. And you call that informal caregiving teams. And Tina, you've seen this in your work. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, oftentimes when you hear the term caregiver, many people think of the, the CNA or the nurse that can come in and help. But 
actually family members um, are doing a great deal of that same work. And so they, the term for them is, is an informal caregiver. They're not being paid, but they're certainly doing the, the work of a caregiver. And we've got a situation like that in my neighborhood, in fact, Barry, a couple who live across the street, the uh, husband in his 80s, he's a West Point uh, a graduate, a distinguished military career. He and his wife have lived there and kids are gone. They're empty nesters. Uh, and, and they occasionally do have problems. Uh, so uh, my wife and I have given them our phone numbers. We've given our numbers to their kids who live uh, up in Waco from San Antonio, which is a three, four-hour trip away. And we end up as that informal unit. And I hadn't really thought about it until I read your piece. Uh, well, I, I think most of us don't think about these things. We just sort of take them for granted. But, you know, we, we live in community, and community means connections with other people, and those those people help us, and we help them. And, and uh, when uh, someone has been somewhere for a long time and knows their neighbors and, uh, and friends well, then, then there's been a lot of give and take over a long period of time. And, and the fact that there's a certain kind of reciprocity there makes it easier for people to accept help when uh, having a professional or having a, uh, an adult child provide care may, may not be so palatable to them. Now, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Tina Smith is filling in for Carol Zerniel, and we're talking with Dr. Barry Jacobs on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline. He's a, a clinical psychologist, healthcare consultant, writes about caregiving, and he's coming to San Antonio on September 5th for a uh, program that will deal both with the general public and a special program offering uh, continuing education credits for nurses and others. Right, Tina? Absolutely. Uh, uh, the afternoon session, Barry, will be talking to professional social workers, nurses, uh, about how to engage caregivers, how to get them to, to see the positive aspects of caregiving. And uh, again, this is a free event and CEUs are offered. And how do folks sign up for that if you're a professional? You can give us a call at 866-390-6491 or uh, you can go to caregivercoalition.eventbrite.com and register there as well. You know, Barry, one of the things that I remember from your presentation here in San Antonio, and I know uh, you talk about this quite a bit, is the thing that most caregivers never think about, and that's the positive side and the positive experiences to caregiving. Uh, we tend to dwell on the negative, don't we? I think that there may be a, a, a bias in human nature for us to, to 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 look at the look at the things that are wrong, rather than always uh, look at the things that are right. At least at least among some of us, I should say. You know, it's always those folks who are you know look at the glass and see that's half empty rather than half full. Uh, but I, I think that um, many times it's it's in hindsight that people realize the, the, the many rewards they've got from caregiving. You know, while they're in the middle of it and, and trudging through every day, it's, it's like they're, uh, they're in the middle of a forest and they're just, they're just kind of having to deal with every tree that they encounter. And it's only later on that when they can look back, sometimes a year or two later, that they can see that the trees make up a larger forest and that this forest is, was, was, a, was a really good deed that they did in their lives doing this work and that in the process of doing this work, that they grew both personally and spiritually and, and, and learned a lot in the process and that they are better people for having done this. So those rewards are there. Uh, they may not be um, in, in the foremost of people's minds on a daily basis when they are in the thick of it. Oh, absolutely. And you just It's just that being in the thick of it, that day-to-day 
uh, activities and things that they have to do on a regular basis, and, and it can be hard. It's hard being a caregiver, and so when you're when you're mired down in that and you're not able to get your head above water, it feels like you can't get your head above water. It's 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 hard to see the positive sign, and so we're excited to have Barry come come talk about that topic. What are some tips for uh, caregivers, Barry, on how to identify the positive versus the negative? You mentioned a couple, but what are the kind of things you might think about on an everyday basis that makes that job of caregiving a, a little easier? Uh, I mean, there are a number of things that I do in, in the counseling I do with caregivers. So one is I ask them a question to, to try to give them a different perspective, and I say, uh, how do you think you're going to look back on this time in your life from, from the vantage point of about five years from now? So imagine you're, you know, you're, you're projecting yourself to the future and then looking backwards. And when people can, when people do that, almost all of them say that they would think that caregiving was hard, but that they would, uh, they, they wouldn't change any of the choices that they made, that they would still go ahead and do it and that probably they would have gained in the process if they been glad to have done it. So that, Taking that, just that question alone sometimes helps help people uh, assume a different perspective that they're, they're not so mired in the day-to-day. Um, the other thing I do is really to help folks um, understand, and then most folks do get this, that they have a finite amount of time with their loved one generally, and that whatever they're doing for them now uh, matters, matters now and in the future. That, that you know, these, The memories they're making now may be the, the last memories that they can make with their loved one. And so they want those to be good memories. And sometimes they want them to have conversations with their loved one that they never have had before. Or they want to develop relationships with other family members in the course of collaborating or caregiving that they have never had before. So the emotional intensity of the caregiving period is usually high. And that creates opportunities for people to, to, to take on different things and to learn and, and to develop different kinds of relationships with the, with the family members, uh, many of whom, you know, particularly siblings that they may not have really had much contact with in, in decades, but now they're, they're collaborating together on, on caring for an aging parent, say. All right. Hold that thought. We're going to come right back to you. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Tina Smith, who's filling in for Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air with our special guest, Dr. Barry Jacobs. We are excited to bring you the all-new WellMed Radio. Our goal is to help make listeners healthier by focusing on health and wellness for adults everywhere. The new WellMed Radio features Dr. Joshua Beck, an outstanding family physician and attorney and veteran broadcaster, Ron Aaron. Ooh, that's me. Each week, we will focus on health prevention and wellness that's critical to the quality of life. The all-new WellMed Radio. And remember... WellMed Radio, Saturday at 7 a.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Well, we are rocking right along on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host today, Tina Smith, filling in for Carol Zernial. Tina serves as manager of caregiver programs for the WellMed Charitable Foundation. And with us on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline, is psychologist Dr. Barry Jacobs, and we're talking about caregiving. We're talking about the positive aspects of caregiving, talking about getting neighbors and friends and family involved in the caregiving process. So, Barry, talk to me a little bit about uh, how it is that so many caregivers never ask for help. They'd rather do it alone. I can do it better. I don't need help. Uh, Well, uh, 
what you say is true. Lots of caregivers do say that, and they say it for a variety of reasons. So I, I think we are proud, independent people, and like to pride ourselves in our self-sustenance. Self, uh, and and uh, I think that uh, for many people, uh, and I would go so far as to say especially men, uh, accepting help can feel shaming to them that they're somehow falling down on the job. Um, so uh, they don't want to fall down the job. They want to feel like they're they're managing this. That, that as a as a spouse or as a, as an adult child, that that they're supposed to manage this on their own. Uh, so they consequently uh, resist help. Um, the other thing is, I, I think that uh, you know many people say, well, you know, no one else is going to do it as well as I can. And the truth is, that's that, that that's probably the truth. You know, the the no one else is probably going to say going to. Um, uh, do it as well as they can, and the question then becomes: Well, does anybody need to do it as as well as the the primary caregiver does it, or is or is is good enough? Good enough? Um, can other people do an adequate job, and is is, is that really enough for the, the care recipient? And what's the answer? Way of thinking, the answer is yes. The answer is you know it is good enough. I mean, good good enough. Most people don't need perfect caregiving. Most people need. Need good enough caregiving, and they, and they also need a primary caregiver who's, who replenishes uh, him, himself or herself on a regular basis, and that means accepting help. Uh, so this idea of refusing help and kind of uh, bearing down and just just doing what needs to be done every minute of the day is is uh, is not a recipe for for long term, uh, you know, sustaining oneself over the course of this. So it's a matter of how do we get people to accept help and feel that that help is empowering them, not disempowering them. Uh, and that's a, that's a conversation I probably have with caregivers, um, you know, three, four times a week. Uh, it's just something that comes up all the time. Uh, that's not true of every caregiver. There are some that will raise their hand and from the very outset and say, help me. But uh, many caregivers um, are resistant to help, and sometimes they wait way too long before they finally reach out for help. At that point, they're so depleted, it's, it's really tough to put water back in the well for them. And I know, Tina, at the Caregiver SOS programs, uh, you see people uh, who are at the edge of burnout or may have already burned out, and they just can't do it anymore. Unfortunately, yes, as, as Barry was saying, that, you know, oftentimes people wait till it's too late. They wait till they're at their breaking point or just past that breaking point. And so, you know, we encourage, you know, through our education programs and, and the uh, seminars that we put on, trying to educate caregivers that it's it's okay to ask for help, and this is where you can go to get that help because it's tough. It's tough. How do you get, you know, getting those caregivers to even start to know where to look to get help? And Barry, what are the symptoms of burnout? Uh, I I think uh, that to me, the primary symptom were sleep problems, uh, waking up with a sense of dread, like saying to yourself, oh my Lord, I got to go do do this again. I don't want to get out of bed. I like to just pull the covers over my head. Um, I I think people who have burnout are, are prone to uh, you know, clinical depression, where they uh, they don't enjoy any aspect of life anymore, where they are, are sad and irritable all the time, uh, where they they just don't feel like the best, their best selves anymore. Uh, so, burnout can lead to depression, and, and depression could lead to health problems for the caregiver, which could ultimately mean that they are, are going to be able unable going to be uh, unable to continue providing care for their loved one. In fact, we know anecdotally, at least, that many caregivers predecease their care recipient. Uh, that certainly, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know research that, that actually demonstrates that, but uh, I certainly have, have known that to be the case. 
Uh, it happened with my own uh, mother-in-law, actually. She was caring for my uh, father-in-law who had a series of strokes. She had a heart condition. She was told that she needed heart surgery. She put it off and put it off and put it off because she didn't want to uh, have to ask her four children to take care of, of their father uh, since she saw that it's her responsibility. She was then finally told by a cardiologist that unless she had heart surgery within a month, she was going to die. And then she finally agreed to have the heart surgery and, and died on the table. It was too late. Um, and I, I'm sorry. It was, again, it was too late. It was it was at a point where uh, her heart was greatly weakened, and so she, the risks of the surgery were much greater as a consequence of, of, of her choice to have, have put the, the, the surgery off for as long as she did. So I, I mean, to me, this is you know is a kind of a classic example of someone who who put her uh, the care recipient's needs over over her own at, at her own peril, and then you know, unfortunately, when she died, uh, which was tragic enough, then then her four kids are scrambling to figure out how to help their father, uh, and that, um, you know, that, that had an impact on my wife and, and, and her siblings, uh, which, um, you know, they were grieving, they were grieving this, the sudden death of their mom and now having to kill, kill for their death wow. at the same time. It was, it was pretty tough. Now, I know that there are some organizations that offer uh, respite care, even daycare, for example, for Alzheimer's patients. Do you recommend that caregivers look into that? I do. I'm a big believer in, in, in respite. Uh, it could be having your loved one go to an adult daycare program, especially if they have uh, dementia. Uh, they're away from nine to three during the course of the day. It could be bringing in home health aides into the home to give, give somebody you know a four hour spell so you can just go out and do errands and, and rest a little bit. Or uh, many states and communities have more uh, uh, have funding for longer respite, where someone uh, would might uh, a loved one might be cared for in, in a nursing home over a weekend or even uh, for a full week. And that uh, makes it, gives a good caregiver uh, an extended rest, and that makes a huge difference in their ability to, to sustain themselves. Now, in the few minutes we have left, uh, can you share with us what we talk about caregivers wanting help sometimes, realizing they need help, uh, but not specifying to people what they can do to help. It, and, and so Tina calls and says, hey, Ron, I know you've been really bogged down with caregiving. I want to help, and I don't know what to have her do. Well, uh, I remember a caregiver I worked with a long time ago who made a bunch of index cards. Uh, you know, on each, each card she put a, a different task that she needed done. When people would say to her, you know, let me, let me know if I can be of help, she would open the box of index cards and say, choose one. You know, so that was a caregiver who knew what she needed and then actually made people commit to, to doing a specific task. That's a great idea. Very important, yeah. But I, I think your point is also well taken that lots of times people don't know what they need. And um, uh, I think that sometimes it's, it's, it's up to family members and uh, healthcare and social service professionals to to basically kind of give them a sense of, 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 of all the possibilities and, and help them choose among them to create a plan that really fits them and, and, and meets, meets their values and, and their sense of mission for the work that they're doing. Tina, do you run into that where caregivers don't know what people can do to help them and people who want to help don't know what they can do? Oh, absolutely. And I think it happens all the time. A caregiver may call in with probably the most pressing issue. There may be like an immediate need that they need, but... In questioning and talking to them, there's a whole iceberg of, of issues there that they need some guidance on, and they don't even know that there's help out there that can even address it. So it's it's a big issue. What would be some examples? It could be, um, well, just even taking a break, as, as uh, you and Dr. Jacobs were talking about, the, the needing the respite. The idea of taking time for themselves isn't even on their radar a lot of time, you know, 
running to the doctor or running to the grocery store or going having coffee with friends. Or a pedicure. A pedicure, absolutely, a massage, anything. Going sitting in a room by themselves for two hours is they feel very selfish. They feel, you know, I can't do this because this is my job. And so just the idea is unfathomable. We think of that sometimes as parents. As you know, we've got three young kids. Six-year-old twin, seven-year-old daughter, sitting in a room alone or even the bathroom alone would be great, but you're never alone. Exactly. Always, always something to do. And with caregivers who, who feel guilt at passing off responsibility, Barry, how do you get them over that feeling of guilt? It's okay to want and get help. Ron, if I had figured out how to, how to get people over guilt, I would have uh, made a million dollars a long time ago. Um because guilt, guilt seems to be universal. Um, I, you know, to me, uh, to help people realize that they are in fact doing a good job, that they're being a good spouse, that they're being a good adult child, that even if they, even if, even if bad things happens to their parent, you know, that the parent uh, illness becomes exacerbated or they have a fall, uh, that that it doesn't mean that the the caregiver has failed. Caregivers aren't aren't there to save people. Uh, who are already on a decline, caregivers are there to, to help them make as soft a landing as possible. And that means uh, doing their best. And if, if they can take some comfort in knowing that they've done the best and that they've provided, uh, uh, you know, solace to their to their loved one, then that, that should be, uh, you know, something that they're proud of, not something guilt, not guilty about. Got about 30 seconds left. If folks want to follow you, get a hold of you, get your books, is there a website they can go to? Uh, EmotionalSurvivalGuide.com is the website for my first book. Um, I have a Facebook page, Dr. Barry J. Jacobs, uh, which has uh, lots of information about my speaking engagements. Um, and then, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing everybody on September 5th uh, uh, at this, the uh, Oasis. Uh, and please call WellMed to, to get more information about that. Perfect. That phone number real quick. It is 866-390-6491. Barry Jacobs, thank you. we got to run. I'm Ron Aaron. Tina Smith in for Carol Zernio. We'll talk to you soon on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.